0: I had, like every person, had this idea of what I thought I wanted for my life, who I thought I wanted to be, what job I thought I wanted to have, and over the course of probably a year and a half, I watched everything that I wanted burn to the ground.
1: Welcome to the Big Self Podcast. We are a learning community for people at a career crossroads, ready to rejoin their soul and their role. We have long-form conversations about self-awareness, relationships, tapping into your inner genius, and building sustainable habits.
2: We are led by our questions. We're curious. We're storytellers. And the more we learn, the better we get. And there are people all around us who have done the work. We think they have a lot to say about how we can discern and activate our
1: own purpose. I'm Shelly Prevost. I'm an educational psychologist and the founder of Big Self.
2: And I'm Chad Prevost. I'm a media specialist. I write, research, and produce content across industries.
1: To learn more about how to join the tribe, go to shellyprevost.com slash Big Self Society.
2: Let's get started.
1: We are joined today by our friend Casey Strickland, who is the founder and president of Homes and Havens right here in Chattanooga. Homes and Havens helps women who have survived trauma by designing, furnishing, furnishing, and decorating new living spaces for them that are therapeutic and healing. Oh, speak speaking my language. <laughs> the nonprofit is here in Chattanooga it partners with local ministries that are helping women overcome abuse, addiction, homelessness, sex trafficking and incarceration and we are so excited to have you on the podcast.
0: I'm yeah.
2: So excited. Welcome Casey. Yeah, it's uh it, it's you're just you're you're taking on a few very large important things. Making it it looks like looks like you're making an impact. It's uh exciting to have you Thank Thanks for making some time.
1: I want to just say I've seen you from afar for a long time now since you started. And this um, ministry, really, of yours is making huge waves in this community and so when we started this podcast you were one of the first people that popped up in my head i was like i have to talk to casey um i so am behind what you're doing with this work so we're really excited to have you here
0: the feeling is mutual same i have watched you guys from afar and have been so excited to to meet you and then just likewise yeah yeah
2: thank you well why don't we like tell us about the vision how did how did it come to you for homes and havens
0: I think with every um, uh, beginning of a good work in a community, it starts with a pain point, and my story is no different. My husband and I walked through um, several years of what felt like an incredible amount of chaos, an incredible amount of crisis that looked like various things. It looked like really um, burnout Feelings and jobs and then we lost our jobs within six months of each other just completely randomly. Um, My parents were also going through um, their the beginning of the end of their addictions and um, we're kind of spiraling out of control at that point. And then um, we were just shattered, I mean, in so many ways. And our mental health, our physical health, like all of that was just kind of spiraling out of control. And um, just felt, I I think especially after the jobs were severed, it was like, okay, now we're putting all of our bills on a credit card, but we're Mm -hmm. home. And it just felt... um, like such a broken, shattered season of our life. Mm -hmm. And um, we also got pregnant in the middle of that, of course, because, you know, it's just like the perfect (laughs) time to bring young (laughs) That's how that works. (laughs) Yes. Least expected. Exactly. And so um, I had like every person had this idea of what I thought I wanted for my life, who I thought I wanted to be, what job I thought I wanted to have and over the course of probably a year and a half i watched everything that i wanted burn to the ground every dream i had every even career wise it was just like so close and then it just was taken away and that just left me reeling Mm -hmm. um emotionally spiritually um physically all of that stuff and so now that i didn't have a job and i just remember like sitting at my kitchen table just had my Bible open, but just, like, covered in tears because I was just gutted. Um, I remember telling God, like, I just need a place to mend. Like, mm. I just need a place to pick up the pieces and feel comforted and at peace and... Um, and so I literally flipped over my journal, and I've always loved home and decorating. And I was going to ask if
1: that's a background. Yeah. At all. Well,
0: my mom was really good at it. Okay. Like, that's how they kind of made their fortune in one way was they flipped houses. They didn't. We didn't have that language for it back then, but yep. essentially that's what we did. And so we would move into a house. And my mom would have this unbelievable vision for it, and my dad would be like, okay. And walls and sheetrock dust and all the things. And I can remember as a little girl hearing everyone come over to our home and say, what a beautiful space. Like, this is incredible. How did you see this and all that stuff? So I think from an early age, she taught me how to believe in what wasn't there. Yeah, to see something that wasn't yet. It's like design and creativity is such a... Uh, to me, it's such an aspect of faith because you believe in something that um, you can't see it. And, and for me, it's all spiritual in those components and stuff. So anyway, I've watched that happen. And so I dabbled in it, loved it. But then obviously financially, I couldn't, you know, just go out and buy anything that I wanted. And so... Through that season, I flipped open my journal and I wrote out mission statements for my home. And they were essentially just prayers, but they were declarative statements that I wanted my home to be. Do Um, you remember what they were? Some of them were like, Father, let this home be gentle on the suffering. Um, Let this home be protective of the sacred. Um, Let this be a place where people can come to mend. And I started redesigning through like, you know, $20 a month budget, you know, of just painting furniture and all those things and um, wrote, I let the design filter through that mission statement instead of looking to Pinterest or Instagram or whatever to like inspire my home. I would go literally to Home Goods or I would look at Target or whatever and I'd be like, does this it does this hit that mark of this prayer of this statement and so over the course of probably a year and a half like my home was changing because i was changing inside and we painted our walls white i mean it was like this cleansing i felt that god was doing in our our marriage our lives and in our home and then um, walking with my parents through, you know, their addiction, and then they finally did hit their bottom. And watching someone go from, like, just traumatized and in denial and confused and reeling from their own pain to finally hitting that brick wall and, like, awakening back up and, and looking over their shoulder and seeing all the damage that has been done and the humility that they they carried with them in that process um you,
2: you share a little bit about their story can, can you tell us a little bit about what the experience was like what what they were going through and and when you i think you talked about i've seen when you first like opened the door and it had been a while yeah um some of the the thing you said like every beautiful thing was broken mm-hmm. or something and
0: yeah there was um So much a part of my childhood, I have long described as like this storybook childhood. But I think every kid, in a sense, thinks that they have like this, this great childhood. Like, I mean, they don't have really anything to compare it to. But I think um, my understanding of addiction Is it's rooted in unaddressed trauma. No one wakes up in the morning and says, I'd like to get addicted to wine or alcohol or heroin or whatever. It's you're trying to run away and like mend a pain that's in your life. And so I have a lot of honor for my parents' story and their childhood story. And they've had even more significant trauma than I will, I have known at this point. My dad is a Vietnam vet, um, and my mom has had quite a tumultuous upbringing upbringing as well. And so while we were Christian, um, I think church can be a place that um, can definitely attempt to solve these problems or address them in different language, but they didn't have the fuller language that we have now about trauma and about, you know, it's not about having more faith. It's not about, you know, white knuckling your way to God But it's really about letting God enter in all those broken pieces of our story and start mending it. And so I think the pain got too much for them and they had to have a way out. And my dad had an incredible amount of stress with work. He was very successful, is very successful, but a big risk taker and put a lot of our family finances and homes and security on the line. And if that did not work out, um, we had nothing. And that was in that season where 2008 hit and oh. everything, the bottom went out. And, um, how old are you? I'm trying no. to remember. I'm terrible at math, but good with words, not with, math. <laughs> Same. I, um, I was probably around 16 or 17 when I started being aware that there was a problem that he was coming home in an altered state or I was smelling something that was like what is this? And we didn't have alcohol in our home and um, was kind of raised in, I don't think I remember my parents ever saying this, but in cultures where it was like people who drink are bad, alcohol is of the devil and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so I didn't even know like what it was because I'd never been around it. And so watching that implode in our family and being the oldest daughter and kind of on the front lines of like, what is going on? And, and trying to, protect mom and protect dad and protect my sisters. Mm -hmm. And like, there was a lot of pressure to just figure it out and keep everybody safe quickly. But, um, and then I think of the strain was so much on their marriage and then the finances that we were about to lose everything. And, um, that my mom started participating probably to alleviate the conflict in their marriage because they would have fights, you know, constantly over this issue and then um, I think she just got worn down and decided to to join instead of keep fighting. And then we were getting older, and I can't imagine how stressful it is to raise teenagers. I'm not there yet, but I can only imagine, especially three girls. A little bit. I mean, yeah. We know a little it's, it's, bit about it's a that. different
2: it's a different kind of stress. Yes. Yeah. yeah,
0: but it and I think teenagers especially demand so much of you addre- as a parent's addressing what your values are. Yeah. It, it comes up so clearly. And I can't imagine like that pressure on top of, you know, are we going to be able to make it kind of a thing. Um, and so, and we were very isolated. And so there, we had been a part of church communities and had gotten wounded by church communities as is everybody's story. <laughs> and then, they just had pulled back kind of to figure everything out. But that was a terrible kind of coincidence of like addiction can't happen in community. It can't happen when you are in, in true community of like, I'm giving you the true reality of where I am and there's no closed doors in my home in a sense. And that to me is a definition of community of like, there's nothing off limits. You know, the light is welcome in, and um and we just didn't have that and so yeah it hit the fan and it when it did it was um really scary and hard um so, by the time that happened though I was already married and had moved out of the house which gave me better perspective um than being in it and have never had in like um have never had that distance mm-hmm. from the issue i guess to really be like wow that is different was
1: there a, was there a defining moment where things had built up to a point where it was kind of like something had to happen whether it was for you personally making a decision about how you engage with your parents going forward or was it their own kind of reckoning that was happening
0: there were many of okay. those reckoning moments for me. Like I feel like dysfunction and addiction definitely carry the don't talk, don't trust, don't feel, don't tell. And um, and I can remember my parents saying things to me of like, this stays in this house. Do not mention this to anyone else. And I think once I got um, out of the house and I remember interacting with my, my parents in certain settings and realizing that this wasn't in my head that I wasn't just like, Oh, it's just their medicine or there's just their, but like they were losing control over their lives. And, um, there was a moment where I remember I was in a hospital room cause my mom or my dad was having surgery. I can't remember. And I had encountered some information that was like, okay, wow, this is not, we're not playing this game anymore. And I remember staring out the window and, um, and thinking i'm going to have to confront the family lie like this is this ha- this lie has come from generation to generation to generation and i remember standing in that moment and thinking am i strong enough to do this like this feels so big and, and heavy so, so scary, heavy and, yeah and there's and, no one with me
2: and that is a what how we would kind of think of it is like a big self kind of moment where you've done the reflecting and and then there has there comes a time where you know you take what you've learned and experienced and you you you're either going to go one way or the other with how you respond to it. So let's but let's um so so you had you had an ongoing kind of underlying crisis going on for a while before you left the house. Now to bring us back up to speed in your your evolution and your mindset thinking about how homes and havens came about you, uh, you were in a personal crisis, you guys. Um, I get. I don't know if you were looking for jobs or if you were like, just like, I'm going to think about what I'm going to start, but you mm-hmm. started Homes and Haves. When, when did you start it? How, how were you able to to do that?
0: So the, like I mentioned earlier, the empathy was building after all of that in my heart for people who the women, the the list that you read off of the the type of clients we serve, um, homeless, addicted, incarcerated, um, yeah, trafficked, all that kind of stuff, they all come with incredible amounts of stigma, and um, and I have lived that having parents who are in recovery, and seeing their humanity and like the pieces that it took, all the pieces at play to get them to that place. Created such an empathy in my heart for people in a crisis. And, but that problem is so overwhelming. It's like, I feel like all of us want to help, but it's like, holy cow, like, where do I start with this? And so once my parents were, this was actually before they were in recovery. I was again, sitting at my kitchen table. and was like, I have got to get around some victory about this issue because I'm so defeated. It's like. Mm. When you're loving someone who's in an addiction, it is so important to take care and protect the hope that you have for resurrection. For And it's not that saying it will happen, but just entertaining that thought that it could. And it still can. I A believe. A like, I believe
1: I have to have something to hold on to. Because
0: it will impact any conversation you have with that person and that the addict that you're loving will pick up on it they're like you don't you don't think I can change so and we pick up those messages of just like yeah I'm no good like I'm never going to get over this but if we still protect that hope by surrounding ourselves with victory stories you know we can interact in a way that still leaves that door open for them and says when you're ready, and these things happen, you are welcome again. And I had to learn that the hard way with my parents. But then loving on these women, I started volunteering at agencies here in Chattanooga that were working with women in recovery that were making that step to be like, enough, I'm confronting my family lie, and I'm going to change. And so I just became such a fan and a sister to these girls of, like, these are my people. They get it. They have looked darkness in the face, and then they have broken free. And so through residential ministries, I was very familiar with that. Um, But when they graduated was when I saw kind of this gap in care of, like, you know, you're rehabilitated. We've got you housing. We've got you a job connection. Um, we've got your court date scheduled to get your kids back. You know, like, there's a lot of things at play. But then it's like, okay, here's Good your McKee. Good luck. We're so proud of you. Right. And and they, a woman walks into a space that is so reflective of everything she's fled from. Oh. All of the disorder or the barrenness that is in a home is like, here I am again, and I have fought so hard to get to this space, and I have nothing, and I have to go fight. And it's
2: like barren.
0: There's- it's barren. It's either empty or there's like they're going back into the home that they Ooh. left, which is also the triggers and yes. everything. And it's kind of like, I mean, all of the stuff that we have now, studies about. Clutter, about light in the home, like all that kind of stuff is coming into play in their very fragile state of recovery. And, um, and so I watched that and I was like, I can do that. Like, I wow. can help with that piece. And so I would do one room at a time because that's all I could afford. Obviously, I have no job. I have no money. So, so you were doing like... this out of
2: your, you didn't have a formal like nonprofit or anything. Not
0: at this point.
2: Okay. So this is, so you're answering a question. I was curious about why is design so important for a space? You also have, I think, as I understand a background in counseling. You, you know, this is a kind of an action based way of, of counseling. <laughs>
0: Right. I think ever since I was little, I've always wanted to be a counselor. Like that was one of the the things that I wanted to do. And through another huge talk of like why I didn't do that or wasn't able to do that. I'm actually back in school now to finish my bachelor's in psychology and then hopefully get my master's in counseling. But okay. um That was such a huge piece because I could do the study of like, what is happening in her brain, you know, right now that makes it so difficult to make daily choices or to think future wise, you know, instead of like, and I'm like, oh, fight or flight or free, like they're in a traumatized state, like they can't, you know, even if I gave these women like, here's a $2,000 gift card to Wayfair or Target get, get what you want. Like that creative side, they can't think about that stuff. Like they're just trying to like survive. Yeah. That's like
1: a higher order thinking, Right. like to get to that creative brain is almost impossible when you're in survival mode. Right. Yeah.
0: And so I was mending my traumatized brain so I could access that. And, um, I could see a space and be like, okay, so we could get a rug, we could get this, we could get that, put some curtains, lift those blinds. Like all of that kind of stuff was coming into play. And it was amazing the impact of once we would do a space, how much she could, it brought her forward mentally. Cause she was like, is this the same space? Like, is this, the, is this my house? And, um, and watching the girls that we've worked with, um, you know, I've, we've almost been doing this for years. um, what they've been able to think future wise now it's like if this is possible like what else could be possible for me and some are going back to school some have gotten incredible jobs like keep moving up they dress different they you know like That's they fantastic. Just, that dignity comes back and they're able to it, envision who they could be just because their house looks different
1: what do different. you like let's talk about that for just a minute cuz I'm as a psychologist I'm really Um, there's something intuitive for me as a woman too about space and about home or the nest. Like, what do you think, like, what are you seeing with these women that you work with that the psychology of having order or, um, comfort, you know, Mm -hmm. what's, what is going on there? for us
0: this is my i think about this all the time Um, (laughs) yeah i think there's (laughs) so many layers to it um i think one why this work is important to me is because environment is basically an unaddressed issue in the recovery community environment like don't hang out with the same friends is addressed but environment like the physical environment of like You know, if you have clutter all over your floor, like that is affecting you mentally to get prepared for your day or to face whatever you have to face that day or to be present with your kids or, you know, all those kind of things. And so, but I think where I had to start addressing that issue from the ground up was involved my faith and spirituality because I was like, does this matter to God? Because I had people in my own life where I would redecorate something and they would be like, Well, it must be nice to spend your money on something like that because, you know, there's kids starving. So I hope you feel good (laughs) about that, about getting a new couch or, you know. And I just took on. I do actually love my new couch. (laughs) Thank you very much. (laughs) There were times I'd get (laughs) sassy about it, but then I'd walk away and still feel shame. I'd be like, oh, my gosh, I'm a horrible believer Christian or human. Like, why am I doing this? But
2: Actually, I've heard now, and this is – Related, but I've heard that there have been studies about recidiv- recidivism. Of like in the military, those who were addicted to heroin, but then they came back to society, and because they were not in this that environment, that there was actually a very low level of stain with that addiction, as opposed to a lot of the communities that we see now, where they're they're you know oh they go into a recovery um, for however long or wherever it is, but then they go back to the same triggers, the same uh, the same area, and of course it's very hard mm-hmm. to stay away from the same things that you were in, the, in the first place.
0: Right. Um, and that comes into play with what we do. Like I, I will not be so bold to say this solves that issue because there's so many pieces at right. play in someone's recovery and their, um, their continued recovery. But, um, I think our evi- environment is such a huge thing to address because like, People go back. People relapse, and people go back to substances, to people, and to environments because all they have known is chaos, and chaos feels comfortable. Chaos feels. I mean, I deal with that. If you're used to life, yeah. Growing up in a dysfunctional home, chaos. I'm the person you call when everything's hitting the fan because I'm like, (laughs) okay, so (laughs) you got it. You're gonna come in Uh and you're gonna manage it. Oh, I've got it. Like I can steady the ship. You know. But I don't, I and this has been a journey for me personally in the last couple of years is I don't know what to do with stability. When oh. things are stable and manageable, I, there's almost something in me, the the addiction in me, that is like, let's rock the boat. Really? Let's, let's create. <laughs> let's shake this up yeah, a little let's bit. let's shake this up. And and that's a condition that I have to face as a leader, as um, an entrepreneur, as a nonprofit leader. Like all of those, I'm tricks. sure there's plenty we
2: of chaos for you just out there. Though
0: talking about
1: this in counseling, weren't we? Mm. <laughs> How this tendency to like, oh yeah, be, to to you know, some people love the struggle. They love, yeah. and so when things get a little bit. Um, I mean, boring. I'll say boring, but that's suspect. It's like mm-hmm. no, I I like I need the chaos. This right. gives me something to control, gives me something to
0: predict. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I get what you're saying. completely. Oh, yeah, I think there's and there's a difference that I've learned. Even as I mean, I'm a big dreamer. This is not this is not hard for me. Is to keep achieving, dreaming bigger. But there's a difference. Now that I have the language for it, there's a difference in a manageable life that is not running you yes. and, and continuing to achieve and dream and grow. And so, but I, all I knew was chaos. So I would just be like, let's do this. Let's, you know, change everything up before. And that created such an unmanageable life that I felt like had no walls that everyone could come in at their will and wish Yeah, um, you
2: need some boundaries. Yeah,
0: boundaries were important, but I think I I sympathize with these women of like, I know what this feels like. I know that manageability in a peaceful environment is hard to sit in because Hmm. your body from a cellular level is wanting chaos because it needs that surge of adrenaline. It needs to know that in, in some ways it makes you feel like you're alive, I guess, because... Stability can feel like death sometimes yeah. where you're just like, I can't it, do this. Yeah, wow. I've heard it that described
1: is as an annihilation, mm-hmm. that it is this feeling of deadening. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's, you know, the, the nervous system likes the spark. Oh, yeah. And sometimes we get addicted to that. And yeah. I think sometimes we drive hard to get that spark. Mm-hmm. And then it takes us in really unhealthy directions and
0: we lose things that we've been fighting for you know like for a woman who's in recovery and has got her kids back and has got a stable job and all that kind of stuff there can be this moment where it's like i feel dead what it you know like what is going on i've never experienced this uh, this measure of peace Mm -hmm. and so they have to you know what i'm just gonna call my ex and just check on him (sighs) And you, and that just put, pulls it in again. Or I'm gonna, you know, go back to that old neighborhood and check on everybody. You,
1: you just said something interesting. The, um, the misinterpretation of this annihilation or this deadening feeling mm-hmm. with peace. Yeah. Maybe it's peace. Maybe it's comfort. Or maybe it's con- control or empowerment. Mm-hmm. But it feels deadening oh yeah, you know and so I think that's a that's a really interesting link I think for for you know the listeners to think about in their own lives like things that maybe feel boring or kind of Mm. too stable um really that's peace and you're you know what you're doing is Mm -hmm. helping people um, create that right with something tangible something Mm -hmm. that they can do something they can touch and paint and you know
0: create and it and it's convincing them this is what you really want this is what you're really looking for, and
2: do they always see that?
0: Most do. I mean, our our um, we we follow back up after we do a home install, which is when we come in and set everything up and stuff. Um, we follow back with them um, maybe a month or two after, but then we touch base with their caseworker six months, a year, two years down the road, just to make sure like, are we still in recovery? You know, what's been going on? Um, and our, I mean, right now, I think our, I just did those spreadsheets for January, but, um, I think like 96% of the women that we've worked with are still in recovery and are still like charging ahead whether they're in that same house or they've moved on to a better house and took all of that stuff with them and, you know, started over in another city or,
2: well, it's super fantastic. And I mean, in speaking of boundaries, like it's sort of like you guys, you, you do the trauma informed home design, I guess if I can characterize it that way, but you also, right. you know, like you, you guys know how to get them to counseling if they are willing to do that. So what are some of the other agencies that you you work with to kind of give them a more well-rounded road to to recovery?
0: Right. So that's one of the number one questions we get is like, how do you find these women? Where do these women come from? And I think when I was creating this early on, I I recognized the lack of my... I don't know. There's things that I'm good at and there's things that I'm not. And what I can offer these women, what I can't. And I'm not a counselor. I'm not a caseworker. um, I don't have the background or education to really handle some of these situations well. So I wanted to, I, I started sitting with executive directors and caseworkers and stuff and saying, like, this is my idea for a service. Do you already have this? And that I could join and help and participate in because I don't want to reinvent the wheel. I did not want to start this. Like that's just, I had already done big nonprofit. Like that's where I thought I wanted to end up was like big nonprofit, well-known stage, you know, writing, you know, content developer, all that. Uh, Right. And then that got jerked out from under me. And then I just went super small. Like I was like, I don't care who knows who I am. Um, I'm just a girl in my carport painting a dresser while my kid's sleeping and I know that God sees me and that is absolutely enough for me right now and I did not want to start it like I was like if there's any way that I can keep like kind of going behind the scenes and serving these women in in like hidden ways I know that God sees me and that's enough I don't need the platform anymore and what do
2: you mean it got jerked out from from under <clears throat> under you?
0: Well, there was an organization that I worked with that was like from 17 years old, I wanted to work at this organization and I wanted to write Bible studies. That was I wanted to be a writer and um, create content to break down the Bible in ways that would make it easy to digest for young women, especially. Okay. And so that was kind of where I was going. That is another long story, but essentially they had written up a job description for me. That was my dream job description. I was two weeks away from signing that contract. um, And then their funding ran out and I had a meeting and it was like, today's your last day actually. And so can you get your desk stuff and and leave? And so I thought I was about to
2: from dream that, that is the carpet pulled out from under you. It was a little wow. traumatizing,
0: but, yeah. um, and so, and I was actually the biggest income puller, like maker in our family at the time. And so it was like, it is over today. And wow. we had no backup plan. It was, it was just insane. And so, and that was part of my identity crisis in a way of sitting at my kitchen table thinking, God, I'm not good at anything else. Like, I, that is all I thought I was good at. And now what am I going to do? I have nothing to offer the world. I have nothing to offer.
2: So it wasn't like you had a background in, in design.
0: No, I have. I've just studied it from um, an uh, observing point of view and read articles and stuff. so can
1: I ask you this so one of the things about big self we talk about a lot is um is your big ideas and your true self is your big self mm. and so getting to the point and often I a lot most of the time I see it happen after failure or falling mm. that people finally kind of reconcile who they are right um, they remember who they are and they're like okay this is who I am And these are my gifts to offer the world. Mm -hmm. And so that to me, I hear you saying that you were in that spot, right? Of who am I? What are my gifts? Like, I don't have anything. How Mm -hmm. did what are your gifts that you see them now? And how did you get to the point where you could recognize them?
0: I think I had to have a lot of stuff stripped away, you know, and a lot of that a lot of that train that was going in that direction of climbing the ladder and getting to that point was what people told me I should do you know based on an, you know observing my life and thinking you should you would be so good at or you should do and um and I think I I didn't know myself and that's true for a lot of kids that have grown up in dysfunctional homes. I is, think that's
1: true for people. Yeah, human right? beings. Humanity. We are told yeah. you'd be great at this. You should do this. Mm-hmm. If you thought of this, and then we get to be, you know, some of us very middle aged, <laughs> and we're like, wait a minute, mm. uh, uh-uh, uh, uh, I get, I need to do some sitting with myself,
0: right? And I think that um, not having a job and being forced to sit at home was sitting with myself and thinking. What is that thing that I lose myself doing? You know that it feels like playing as a kid where you literally lose track of time and you just kind of immerse yourself in something. And for me, that was always decorating my house. Like it was always rearranging my furniture or like you know and yeah. i'm am a just a chronic rearranger it just makes me wake up for some reason and enjoy the things i I'm have i'm a
1: chronic wayfarer so.
0: yes. <laughs> oh this, yes. this would be lovely I in definitely. my life. yeah
2: without really <laughs> consulting anybody on it either
0: oh yeah my, we've had my husband and i've had so many come to jesus meetings about <laughs> about these issues but i think i was like well, if there's something that brings me joy, that would be it. And so <laughs> I remember thinking, I reached out to like home stagers in Chattanooga because I was like, I work for free for a little while just to see like if this is, and I had people even back like, no, we don't need you or want you kind of a thing. And I was like, <laughs> okay. So,
2: right. um, Not I, even for free. Yeah, Ouch.
0: I know. So I just started my own thing and I did do design um, and was Hireable in a sense and had all of that, but that started funding the side ministry, you know, in a sense. And so, every client that I took on and would redecorate their living room or their bedroom or something like that one, it was proving to me that I could do this, like, I actually can do this, and I am good at this. Um, but I don't want to be doing that because I want to be doing her house instead. Like, that money, I took all that money and put it back into her house and the women that were in recovery. And it came to a point where my time was so divided that I had to pick. And I remember, like, this reckoning moment between my husband and I. It was like, okay, are we for profit or are we nonprofit? And um, I met with different counselors and people in the city that was like, what is this? Like, can you tell me what this is? Yeah,
2: I've looked at this? that question a lot before, too.
0: It's so, it's a hard place. And and honestly, most of the time when people come to me with that question now, I'm always like, don't do nonprofit, do for-profit. It's just <laughs> legally easier to do to get started. And you can always turn into a nonprofit later.
2: And you're saying that as a nonprofit. As a nonprofit, yeah.
0: right. And so for us, it... I think it honestly came down to me of like, whose name do I want to build? Do I want to build my name as a designer and a decorator in this city? Or do I want to love on these women in such a special way that I'm so, I so believe in this, but something's going to die because I can't pick both, you know, And it was like, which one am I going to put to death? And when I finally got to word the question that way, I was like, oh, 100%, I know what I'm going to do. Like, it's definitely her. Like, I have to do these homes.
1: I love that question. Yeah. Like really looking at, uh, and I I talk about reality testing a lot because those of us that are big thinkers and we want to do so much, there's a point where we have to think of what am I willing to sacrifice and what am I not willing to sacrifice? Right. Because I can't do it all.
0: Right, and I think it's dangerous to think you can. And there were people that are like, why can't you do both? Like why is it and or? And I think I was like, I am a young mom and I have a marriage that has just gone through hell on earth and my family is recovering, we are putting the pieces back together. I don't have the capacity to do both.
1: Yeah, and be, being your doing big work and being do, being your big self is way more about the self. You know, it's, it is so much about who you are created to be, who right. are you are called to, what work you're called to do. And I think I see a lot in our, in our Facebook group and conversations I have with people and coaching them and like, they really get hung up on the big, either it feels too big. And so I don't do it or I'm, it, it is so big. And so I'm driving so hard to get it done. Exactly. And I just think like big is about impact. Big mm-hmm. is about who is your tribe and, and what are you doing? to promote them Mm -hmm. and give your gifts to them and serve them. Mm -hmm. That's big. It it may be um, something that you do in your garage, Mm -hmm. you know, that it's just me paying, I, I, this is my work to be Mm -hmm. doing, or it may be, um, it may be starting a nonprofit or a business Mm -hmm. and there's so many different layers of that in between. And so I think, uh, I love your story and that it was, uh, almost a resistance in you to move into this as a business. Mm-hmm. Um, because, but you were already so, uh, not focused, but you were uh, doing the self work already anyway, the, mm-hmm. the, what you created from that was kind of like icing on the cake.
0: Right. Yeah, the the self-work and that continues to lead me and influence me today as a leader. I have such a passion. My staff will tell you it's like we are we are holistic. We my greatest fear would be that we have this incredible nonprofit that looks so good on social media. Our our before and after pictures, our what we're known for in the community looks so good and that all of y'all are burnt out and hate <laughs> to come to work. Like, yeah. we only do, the our work is so good because it comes from a true and pure and balanced place as a team, and that has to come from the top down. I have to model that for the girls that work for me, and that's something that I think of every day. Every day is like, am I in a place that is truly healthy, So that i can create Mm -hmm. healthy work in the community
2: that reminds me of a quote that you like uh, that you have on your linkedin page by wendell berry the teachers Mm -hmm. are everywhere what is wanted is a learner Mm -hmm. like when did you come across that quote and is that kind of it seems like what we're talking about here Mm -hmm. with with needing to build yourself before Mm you Right. Make an impact, I guess.
0: Well, I mean, Wendell Berry. Let's just be honest. Yeah, I'm, the best. Yeah.
2: Yeah, he's a he's amazing. Yeah,
0: just everything. Like, um, right? My husband proposed with a Wendell Berry poem. Like that oh, was like part what, of what, you. What <laughs> happened to you? I didn't get a Wendell Berry poem.
2: <laughs> you got one of my own poems, That's true. right? That's It's not the same thing, but. <laughs> Yeah, right. Essayist, novelist, poet. Uh, Environmentalist. Sustainability guy. Exactly.
0: Yeah. That is, uh, yeah, there's so much about his life and work that influences the work that I do. Okay. Yeah. Not only as our family culture, I mean, his poem, The Peace of Wild Things, is like, obviously oh, yeah. my husband's literal favorite poem. Like, that is who he is. He's also a nine on the Enneagram, so of course. Oh. Is. <laughs> what is your Enneagram? I'm a two with a three wing. Girl. Yes. Oh. What up? We got <laughs> no some wonder. two with a three
1: wing. I think that's you again. all. I
2: think that's you too, Shelly. <laughs> so
1: what
0: are you?
2: Oh, I'm supposedly a four.
1: Supposedly, yeah. he is—he is what's called a sexual four, oh. <laughs> which is the subtype. It's a one-to-one right. subtype. Okay. Oh, yes. Just, He's blushing now. For
2: those, for, <laughs> for those who uh, uh, don't know the types, you might be. Google Um, the
1: Enneagram. That's right. um, Google sexual four (laughs)
0: subtype. That's Chad.
2: (laughs) Okay.
0: You know what, Chad? I love fours. Like, because twos go to four in a health, I usually pretty instantly know when I'm with one because I'm like, you are not afraid of the feelings. Like, you are not afraid of any space that I'm in right now.
2: Interesting.
0: And there's no, like stop crying stop doing this and just like perform or whatever they're just like just be
2: well our uh that's all, our, our middle son we think is a nine mm. so we know we know the um He's that, the peacemaker, peacemakers yeah they they observe
1: i think they he got a good energy i think he said maybe like 20 words yesterday and half of them were it's all good yeah. it's all good uh-huh. what yeah. no you don't need to be upset it's all mm. good
0: I know. It's so true. But Wendell Berry, I don't wonder what any of them Yes, MP back to is. Wendell. No. <laughs>
1: we'll find that um, out. Yeah.
2: Well, so actually, I mean, speaking of nonprofits, though, and making a difference, you... Um, no,
0: no, no. Quote. I want oh. to talk about the Wendell oh, Berry you want to, oh, oh, unpack
2: that for a minute, honey. Go ahead.
0: Well, I think... Um, so that quote from Wendell Berry, I think as a leader, especially in the nonprofit culture, we... I think we have so much pride in the fact that we know how to fix it. Like we have the best program. We have the best reading on people we know. And I think with something like trauma, I was having a conversation with a friend a couple of days ago and he was asking me why, like I wanted to go back to school. And, um, and I was saying, because I never think that we're done learning and, I think the moment that we think we're experts in something really creates a blind spot for our potential and our growth and something like trauma. I never want to think that I know everything about this, you know, where I'm like, I've got this, we've tied up our program. This works for every person you right. know? and we're not a student. Every home that I walk into, there's a new woman with a new story, yeah. new trauma, with a new culture, with a new background, with a new outlook on the world, and it is my job to listen and learn from her, and that influences my design. And it's not like, oh, well, I've got exactly without needing to listen or be a student of her, and um, and that goes with our community, the work that's happening in our community, the other partners that we have in the community. It's like. Tell me what you're doing and what I can learn. and Wow! And so I just think that's how collaboration is sustainable. Is is we both have to. That's how marriage is sustainable. That's yeah. how the relationship. Is I love sustainable.
1: that. Yeah, a beginner's mind. Right, like having that openness, that receptivity, mm-hmm. the curiosity. Yes. Yeah.
2: yeah. Everybody wants to be an expert. Oh yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Um, I wanted to ask about. Uh, you mentioned when you were going through your crisis and kind of looking around your home and, and you know painted the walls white and we're coming up with some some ideas to um, make it safe and secure and grounded. What like give us some tips like some things that you like design wise or maybe it's just kind of Marie Kondoing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what are some things, you know, because I, I feel chaos sometimes when I come in my this office uh, and we got rid of a whole bunch of crap that was on the desk. <laughs> uh, but it just it feels anxious like it feels. So what are some things that you when you walk into a home or you are in your own home design wise, um, feng shui wise, like what are some things that you could help us think about as we are looking at our own home and wanting to feel that sense of safety and security.
0: Yeah. I think I went on like this deep dive one day. Um, Once I realized like the, what had happened in my life and how I transformed my home through my chaotic traumatized um, season, um, what I was gravitating towards, I was sitting at my house one day and I had been picking out rugs and curtains and all that kind of stuff for a couple of homes for women. And I was like, I wonder if there's a science behind this of like, is this psychologically and emotionally and physically creating something in us um, that is having a reaction and a response toward peace? And so there are currently not a lot of studies out there about this, um, about like what environment and how that impacts us. But like there have been studies done on like hospitals And, um, and stuff like the psychology of color and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I just, you know, I have this document on my computer that I just continue to drop like research into, um, about this, but like the lighter colors, like light is such a big deal. The first thing when I walk into a home, I'm like, where's the light? And normally, I mean, 99% of the women that the homes that I come to for the first time, they have like red or purple sheets nailed to the windows to cover them up because they're still in that fight or flight they're still like no one can see us we're safe they don't have the money to go buy a curtain rod or curtains um and so i'm like okay so there's like this purple ambiance going on <laughs> you know there's <laughs> yeah. just a darkness yeah. there yeah. every home that i've ever gone into is dark
1: and, Which, to me, I'm thinking of Brene Brown's work, too. Yeah. Like, Shrouded in Shame. Yes. Like, there's something that's exactly. covering mm-hmm. that.
0: And that's physically manifesting itself in their home. It Every home is reflective of the inner state of that woman. Every home. Home mm-hmm. is just that. It is an extension of our souls.
1: And it is. Like, I think, as a man you might not feel it the same way as a woman does. I oh, think but as a four,
0: remember? Oh, that's true. <laughs> he's writing
1: poems about it.
2: <laughs> no, I think I will say that I think um, I, I'm kind of oblivious to it. Mm-hmm. Or, or some, I think you're or, affected
1: by disorder,
2: mm-hmm. yeah, but you're
1: not affected by light or color mm-hmm. or design or, um, you know. Not, not as much, yeah. I don't think.
0: Yeah. And so it is something that, I think especially as a woman working for homes that are inhabited by women, there's a sensitivity there that I think I have that maybe a lot of people don't have where I'm like, the light is the biggest thing that I'm pulling, I'm collecting data on when I'm in that home. Um, Mm -hmm. Room arrangement. I've been told I have the spiritual gift of like... um, Ranging okay.
1: Well then, before
0: you leave, we're gonna go and look in the living room. <laughs> One of my friends no. is just like, you can walk into space and you're like, move this here, move that there, and she's like, I would have never thought of that, but I don't know why I just can't. And my my house has changed so many times. Like our small group that used to meet at our house was like, we can't wait to come over here every week because what's different, you know? Like, what if you move? Rearranging you know, okay, the deck house. <laughs> Exactly. So. I think arranging it in a way that makes the room feel bigger and that there's clear travel um, pathways and spaces where this is where we converse, this is where we gather, this is where we eat, this is where we sleep. Like having those defined um, spaces are really helpful. Um, So the light, the arrangement, the lack of clutter, we're picking everything off the floor. We're bringing in pieces of furniture and or we are folding clothes putting them in the drawers we are taking everything in, and creating that order for her to to look at and then um and the color palette we use is blues grays greens taupes browns that blush pink like very neutral light outdoor bringing the nature in
1: why are you not on hdtv
0: uh that would scare me no i'm just kidding. you would <laughs>
1: dominate this would be huge
0: well like, almost, seriously we might have to send this
1: podcast <laughs> I, to, up to knoxville and that where their headquarters are
0: i don't know i've had several people that are like so when are you getting a show and i'm like i would have it i'm not saying it wouldn't make good tv but it would have to be done in a way that honors these women's right. stories and, and privacy and all of that because and some of them are still fleeing think people men individuals and so there's just a high level sensitivity yeah it would have
1: to be i would think so
0: yeah yeah
2: well one thing that gives order to this podcast is we always conclude it with our three three questions that we we like to uh to ask and so the very the very first one is what book are you reading right now casey or maybe it could be a podcast you're listening to What what are you taking in right now? That's really making an impression on you that you want to tell everybody about.
0: Mm, That's a good question because I'm in school right now, so I don't want to like give you a psychology books. (laughs) (laughs) The textbook I was reading before, but but no, I was I have been reading at night. um, I'm gonna botch the title. It's um, Moment of Lift. Yeah, Uh, Yeah.
1: Melinda Gates. Yeah, yeah. Melinda
0: Gates. I almost said Melissa. And then I was like, that's not right. Melinda Gates. Melinda oh Gates. my gosh. That has been, a friend recommended it to me and she was like, this is your kind of book. And oh. was like, it is okay. so, so good. Okay. So good. It is and it's inspiring.
1: about, is it about the work they're doing with it's the Gates her, Foundation?
0: It's really about her, um, her journey of self as she's married to Bill Gates and then being a woman in this industry, in the tech industry and all that kind of stuff, but then also doing philanthropy. And like, she is the definition of a student. Like she Mm. submits to cultures and learns before she ever invests money into it. And she actually thinks that that can actually do more harm is like big money investing into these problems that you don't truly understand yet. Mm. And yeah. Her humility, I mean, she is a hero of mine now. Like, I'm like, this. Okay, that's is, on my bookshelf. She's Moment of
2: lift. That yeah. sounds really cool.
0: Yes. Tell us um, a little bit about your morning
1: routine. <clears throat> How do you get up and get going with your day?
0: It's funny because I was talking about this with someone because I saw that question on the list for today, and I was like, in one way, I'm very much like, I get out of bed, shower, dressed. I mean, like in 30 minutes from wake up to 30 minutes later, I'm like ready for the day. Like I'm fully ready. And I've always been that way. Um, even when I was like in the newborn phase with my kid, I was like hair, makeup, dress, like we're ready. Whatever happens to throw at us this day, we are ready. Um, <laughs> That's impressive. But there is this lack of... Um, like quietness to my morning because I feel like I wake up in such a start and again talking about what we were referring to earlier about this addiction to that adrenaline and chaos I it
1: that's my, your three mm-hmm. that's your three
0: wing yeah my the issues that I'm seeing in my own recovery that need work are so granular at this point and one of them when that when I read that question was like I still do that to myself. Like my life is pretty manageable and we have good boundaries now, but I don't get up earlier than my family because I have to feel that surge of adrenaline of waking up late in a sense of like, what have I missed? What is going on? (laughs) And that's so unhealthy. Like, it's just, I, so my husband and I were talking about last night, I was like, I'm seeing this in myself that it is an unhealthy addiction to that adrenaline of like, my phone has seventeen messages by the time I wake up. I'm already behind an email, like, and but it's just enough of that hit, you know, that I'm like, all right, I don't even need coffee. I'm ready for this day. Instead of, like, meditating and reading scripture or whatever (sighs) and slowly being kind to myself, you know, and letting myself ease into each day. So I'm going to work on that more. But
2: Wow, that's self-aware.
0: Just a side
1: note, uh, there's a book called The Sacred Enneagram, which is all about... Have you read that? Have you seen it?
0: I have it, and I've read parts. My friend just read it. It's
1: so good. I have it on audiobook. But he he talks about, the author talks about our type, Mm -hmm. the two, really or self-care needs solitude because we're so other referencing. Oh, for we're sure. We're constantly Plugging thinking. Plugging into other people. Yeah, and that drives us. And so there's a there's a real power in just kind of stepping back. And and I talked about this on a podcast recently, The my, my need for solitude, mm. that I never really thought about that, mm-hmm. like especially as an extrovert and somebody who loves people, engaging with people yeah. all the time. But it is true. Like there's such a uh, grounding that happens when I'm, Uh, and I, I don't really meditate, but I do pull back Mm -hmm. uh, and I have to kind of, I've learned a book in my days. And then when someone said that's very much what an Enneagram type two needs, Mm -hmm. I was like, huh, okay, well, that makes sense.
2: No wonder. So
0: yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, finally, what does big self mean to you, Casey?
0: I think when I read, what you the work you guys are doing that definition rang so true to me of like playing big without the burnout. I was like, this is my life motto. I feel like in this season is, I don't I want to dream big and I don't want to stifle that, but at not at the cost of my soul and not at the cost of my family. And there are things that. When I come, when I make decisions or dream or different things, I'm like, okay, well, what am I putting on the table that I'm willing to give away and and take off of my plate at this moment? And what are those things that I'm not willing to sacrifice in my marriage and my relationship with my son? And um, there are things that I know God's called me to in this season that are absolutely never going to be on that table and creating a life around big dreams and around big impact but not at the cost of who I am and, um, the things that are most important to me.
2: Wow. And, and yeah, and Love there's going to be different seasons as we understand who we are. I think that's part well, of the journey. Well, this,
1: uh, well, first of all, um, as we conclude, where can people find you? Tell us where you are. On so homesandhavens.org.
0: Okay. And we're on social, um, on all the places Everything. at, at homes and havens. Okay. Um, and that's plural homes. And havens. I have to spell that out a yes, lot. Yes. Okay. Homes and havens. And then um, I'm on Instagram, Casey Danielle, um, and Facebook, and all the things. Okay. Too, so very good.
2: Fantastic. It's been great to have you on This has been such Big a treat. Self podcast. And I,
1: I think you, dare I say, like epitomize Big Self. Oh. <laughs> like to go through crisis and kind of reassemble all this, the things that, that, Felt destabilized into a way that it's not just about you, but it's about what you've reassembled to serve the world and the way that you can best do that. To me, that is exactly what we are—we're trying to help people figure out here. And so, the fact that you've shared what you've shared, um, your story, and how—I think there's just so much wisdom that people are going to get from this. So, thank you.
2: Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Big Self Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, join the community on Facebook at the Big Self Society. You can find us at Big underscore Self on Twitter. And we are also... At the Big Self Society on Medium, where we feature and curate content on topics ranging from psychology to creativity and productivity, we'd love to hear from you. What show made an impact on your thinking, your habits, your decision making, or anything else? And anyone you'd like us to reach out to and have on the show, let us know.